Welcome to the Canadian Real Estate Investor, where hosts Daniel Foch and Nick Hill navigate the market and provide the tools and insights to build your real estate portfolio. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Canadian Real Estate Investor. My name is Nick Hill. I'm joined, as always, by Daniel Foch, but we're in a strange place today. Strange, warm Two very handsome gentlemen here. And and very, very warm. And then also Matt and Adam. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Matt and Adam, who run the Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. Uh, you guys are OGs in the podcast. You guys have been doing this for like 10 years. Walk us through and introduce yourself. I've been wanting to be you? an OG for a long time. And, and that's, uh, I appreciate that. Finally made it. Yeah. So tell us about yourselves. What do you guys do? What's the day-to-day? -day? Tell us about the podcast. Yeah. Um, all right. We are. Yeah. We st we started the podcast in what 2016, early 2016. Right. Um, I guess there wasn't a ton of real estate podcasts at the time. You guys and Joe Rogan podcasting back then. <laughs> so he was talking about real estate back then. <laughs> so and here's the thing, and I think it's probably similar to to Toronto is everybody's obsessed with real estate in Vancouver. Yeah, it's a you know. That's a national thing. It's a okay. national sport. A, a national. Yeah. So you go every party, you're talking about real estate. Every, you know, uh, line at Starbucks, you're listening to our, somebody our talk about Uber real estate. Our driver home was, was talking about inflation last night. It was sure. great. Yeah, exactly. So at the time, we were listening to a lot of podcasts. Uh, and it was kind of earlier, earlier days, but... I feel like podcasts, I keep thinking it's going to slow down. It just keeps getting uh, more popular. But we're like, why is there not? There was very few uh, real estate podcasts in general. And we're like, why is there not a Vancouver real estate podcast? Like, I feel like there's so much to talk about. And uh, yeah, and then we started it. Yeah. And, and and I think the other thing to to say about it is we were, we kind of, we it's funny, we just went through this big rebrand exercise where we had a website done recently, another, a, a new website done. And we sat with this kind of like uh, group of people that almost acted as like a, a focus group asking us questions about like what we wanted to portray on the site. And it just kept coming up. It's like, you guys are real estate obsessed. <laughs> like you talk, you, you talk about like, like you're just obsessed with every yeah. potential thing you can think about when it comes to real estate. And that's what we used to do is we used to, we obviously were working as agents, um, but we'd go, I remember we'd go have a beer with like a, a few guys from our office and we'd just talk about the market all night long, like right. to the point that it was like, you know, like our significant uh, others are, yeah, uh, significant yeah. others are like, Hey, shut up you guys. Like this yeah, is ridiculous. boring for everybody else. Yeah. Like, and, and then it was like, why don't we just record this? Yeah. Right. Because somebody like if it was interesting to us and our colleagues and and the people we were talking about, we were like, somebody's going to listen. Yeah. And and I think um, the other thing is in it's maybe a little different than your show. We talk about investing on our show and we've talked about it quite a bit. Uh, but we also it's kind of just Vancouver obsessed in a way that it's like, all right, uh, let's peel back the layers. So we talk to urban planners and economists, politicians, and politicians, and yeah. uh, like David Eby, the premier was on our show Sweet. before he was elected last time. Nice. And, uh, Reg Alcock, who was the BC, the finance minister after he was booted came on. Like it's, it's kind of opened up this amazing opportunity to just reach out to anyone. Chip yeah. Wilson's the only one who won't take our call. Uh, what we can do about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but it's amazing how, if you ask, most people are like, yeah, sure. Like, name yeah. the day. Podcast yeah. is a superpower. It's funny. Like you, you, you know, you ask someone for a phone call and then you, they don't have time for it. And you're like, hey, do you want to come on the podcast and speak for 45 minutes yeah. instead of the yeah. 10 minutes I would have asked you for on the phone call? And, and you know, 9.5 yeah. times out of 10, it's, it's a yes. So. <laughs> but as you guys know, I'm, as I'm sure you know uh, from doing this for the last nine months is, is it, as you start to kind of think about how much, how many things real estate touches, like we could have almost anybody on. Yeah. Uh, and, f and find a way to talk to them about something that influences sure. or, or can inform the market. Right. Yeah. Um, sure. so yeah, that's kind yeah, of, what we, kinda, we thought it, we'd run out of ideas, but really it's it just, is, it's like the more you get into it, the more you just deeper, deeper down rabbit holes and the, pro the, the biggest problem for us. And, uh, I think it's different than, than your show because you're, you're focused on that. You know, I feel like there's a lot to do on your show, whereas ours, um, you know, at first we were like, let's have a building inspector on like yeah. the second episode. And you're like, all right, where do we go from here? But if you're <laughs> curious, you go further and further and further. But the the one thing I think we've heard as a, a critique of the show is that 
sometimes it's like, holy man, you guys are in the weeds. Like no right. one knows what you're even talking right. about. Yeah, here. So Matt's doing a good job. Don't even know <laughs> we're, promoting, we're promoting the podcast <laughs> on this show, right? <laughs> so it is. And the cool part too is I feel like, especially in the past three years, like COVID obviously major changes in, in the, the way people consume real estate and, you know, ge- and geography and office, like different asset classes. We can get into that because I'm curious to see how that looks in Vancouver. But there's been so much change in the real estate space from a policy perspective. It's all like the last three elections, provincial and federal, were all run on housing uh, affordability, right? Like it is really one of those things, like you're saying that it's, it's only increasing now. Like everybody knows what the central bank does. Nobody mm-hmm. knew what the bank of Canada did like before the rain. Well, even the jobs started. report this morning, it's right. like, we're saying, I joked with somebody else. It's like, man, yeah, the Uber driver, it's like, Hey, did you see the jobs yeah. report? And you're like, do I, you think interest rates are going up or down? Yeah. <laughs> like, seriously. So, and so it is, it, it's created this like perfect little like vacuum for things like this to exist. Cause people are always going to try and find, real news. And I think like a lot of people don't trust the media right now. And so they kind of want this like impartial perspective, right? For sure. For sure. And I mean, that's part of the reason we were talking before we push record about like things like TikTok and man, I don't know if it's just our feed, but uh, again, now there's so many people commenting on the market. <laughs> it's like a lot of noise. Too. But also so that was, you know, it makes me, I feel like we had this right up on our, on our website at one point, but it was like, the other thing that we found frustrating was the Globe and Mail uh, reporters or whoever uh, would pick up a story that everyone in our office was talking about three months before. And it's yeah. like suddenly it hits the news like it's a big deal. And you're like, man, this is crazy. The lag. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's probably, you know, filtering through to the mainstream media is is and they get and they'd get three quarters of it wrong. You'd be like, man, and that's also a misunderstanding. Yeah. Seriously. That's yeah. where they all are. All the journalists, they right. pull stuff on Twitter. And the other, well, the other thing that we found frustrating too, it would often be a journalist who, who didn't really understand markets, yeah, right? Markets, or real estate, yeah. right? And, and, and they'd be commenting on something that we were like, that's just totally getting it wrong. Like that's, or, or missing the point of, yeah. of what the act, how the market was responding to something, right? For sure. So, okay. So let, let's give me, can you guys give us like sort of a, th- from 30,000 feet, what what is going on in, I mean, we have listeners coast to coast, like, and we want to try and create value because we find like a lot of our listeners have to move capital out of province or to certain places and Vancouver being the second largest city that we have a listenership in. Is there opportunity to for people to invest in real estate in the city? Um, if so, what does it look like? And, and where are you seeing or advising sort of like your entry level individuals to, to go with capital right now to make moves in the real estate space in, in, in BC in its entirety. Right. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, I, I, I think there's probably some similarities to Ontario in the sense that affordability, uh, we talked about, uh, earlier driving till you can qualify. Um, you know, we are a very expensive market as people know. Um, and we are also a, a market where it's difficult for real estate investors to cash flow, um, it, especially if you're looking in Metro Vancouver, it's very challenging, um, and it's also very difficult for for young people looking to get into the market uh, to to buy in Metro Vancouver, right? Because of our our price points. Um, but they're definitely 100. percent There's opportunities for investors. There's opportunities for first time home buyers um, in Metro Vancouver. Uh, the opportunities it, it it really depends what you have, what you're working with financially, but. We've talked about this gaps in the market. There are definitely gaps in the market that we monitor all the time and meaning markets that are kind of lagging right now, um, where we saw, we see a lot of markets that have done, uh, you know, double digit percentage increases in a very short period of time and other markets that have not performed or, or that, but still have a lot of opportunity. Um, and then when you think about the province as a whole, uh, you know, there's lots of, uh, you know, Vancouver Island, the Okanagan. There are a lot of places that are, are again, um, seeing, uh, a huge uptick now just because people are being priced out of certain markets. Um, and, and home ownership is obviously still the goal. Um, so we're seeing a lot of people kind of moving around the provinces. So there's tons of opportunities. But, but in terms of, of actual concrete opportunities, I think, and again, Adam mentioned gaps. Before, you know, for a long time, we were talking about East Van Detached, right? Like this is going back 10 years, 
10 years ago, like yeah. 2015, 2016, when, you know, the west side of Vancouver, and this is maybe for people who don't know Vancouver, but there's an east-west divide. The west side is um, uh, historically quite a bit pricier than, than the east side. But that gap got out of out of whack. So we were talking a lot about East Van Detached as being as being a really exciting uh, play. More recently, um, and we focus on Vancouver proper, like the city of Vancouver primarily, our businesses. Uh, over COVID, we watched the suburbs right explode, which I think was across the country For and sure. secondary markets. And we've kind of been, and Vancouver was flat. Like downtown pricing is pretty much 2017 right now. Yeah. Like we've been flat for six years. Um, so in, I think we talk a lot about, uh, about this on the show, but the core and closer to the core, I think now is, has been, has been, you know, relatively flat for a long time. And now you're seeing stuff in Fraser Valley, like in Surrey, uh, you know, somebody, on our show recently said, Hey, the city of Langley is getting a sky train like this is, so this is quite a bit, quite far out there, right? City of Langley, that's the opportunity. And you look at the pricing and you're like, wow, this is pretty close to the core now. Right. Like this right. doesn't make yeah. sense anymore. Yeah. So unless, and I, and you know, we, I think some of this hinges on back to work, what that actually work looks like. And, you know, I don't know if the verdict's in on what that actually does look like, but, um, Downtown seems like the best play in Vancouver yeah. right now because you're the the rents have you know say let's say 2017 uh, the rent downtown was maybe what 1800 to 2000 now we're talking 2800 yeah to yeah. three grand maybe uh, rents have hard. rents in the past year downtown for one beds have gone up about 25 30 percent in the past year year and a half and pricing's yeah. flat so that's yeah, great yeah so it, it is really interesting too because a lot of people think you know like the the capital appreciation play in Canadian real estate is immigration is just going to push house prices up but the reality is I mean we just saw a million immigrants into Canada 50% of them were non-permanent residents and like so they're not going to buy a house maybe maybe never but they're mm -hmm. certainly not buying a house today and probably not within the next three years statistically what they are going to do is they're going to rent a house and yeah. that that excess demand pushes up the, the the dollar value or the the income portion of your your cap rate right so your yield grows you just have to you have to I mean and you've mentioned you know putting yourself in this position in some investments you kind of got to eat it for a little bit but you want if you can have faith and be steadfast with your investment thesis that the income portion will grow you can make good investments today, like what you're saying. In growth markets yeah. where, yeah, 10 years down the line, you're going to be laughing. Happy that you own it. And it's funny, this stat has come up a few times on our show recently, but we just had Wendy Waters on who advises for Great West Life. Since 1990, we've introduced 1.2 million people to the region, to Metro Vancouver, but we've only built 7,700 purpose-built rental homes which is kind of astounding, right? And and I think a lot of the new immigrants that are actually going to be settling in, in our region, uh, the couple points uh, that she made was, one, is a lot of them, more so than ever, are that kind of prime renter age, which is 25 to 34, and their median incomes are, are close to double what they were, you know, even a decade ago or tw in 2011. So her point being kind of that, um, you know, it's, it's hard to imagine rents don't, see double digit increases again uh, in the not so distant future in our in metro vancouver which is insane i mean are you going to be paying thirty five hundred dollars for a one bedroom like it but then it goes to the other side of things where if you look at toronto and vancouver you know you're supposed to be spending 30 percent of your income on housing well toronto and vancouver more than double almost triple that like it, it's it's crazy and but if you look at that national bank chart right like the the not, uh, national bank they come out the housing affordability monitor every quarter and that vancouver and toronto wants like the gap between the cost of ownership right now versus the cost of rental like you just need all you need to do is look at the chart and see how the ownership cost is skyrocketing proportionate to rental and it's like well there is clearly a lot of upside here on the rent side and if you go look at like europe like you know we made the comparison when we were doing the the recording for your show um and i, I spent some time in switzerland everyone that i know that works in you know in a, in a white collar job in an urban area in europe they all rent, they rent. And, and they spend a lot of money renting and they right. all have higher net worths than everybody that i know in canada whose mm -hmm. net worth isn't all primary residents so sure and, and just to add on to that, where the opportunities are in the lower mainland is we're going through uh, kind of a renaissance when it comes to like just even transit oriented development. Um, like the region is is 
is expanding along SkyTrain lines and SkyTrain hubs where we're seeing a ton of development. So there are a lot of areas that weren't, you know, 15 minute cities uh, necessarily uh, or aren't even currently that will be in, you know, desirable places to live. So there are a lot of opportunities in areas that we that we typically wouldn't have thought were, were growth regions prior to. So let's let's focus on that for a second and, and tie that in with what you said before, which is identifying those gaps. So walk us through what identifying those gaps, what are the gaps that you guys are looking for and how do you go about identifying them? I, I, we can give you a few examples. Yeah, I mean, um, in, in uh, around a decade ago or almost a decade ago, like let's just talk about the city of Vancouver and the east side and the west side. Um, I remember uh, looking at, you know, like Matt was talking about earlier, looking at Eastside Detached and looking at houses that were selling for six to $800,000 for a decent standard lot with a, with a bungalow on it. Meanwhile, on the west side, that same house was selling for probably 1.5, uh, 1.7, very similar. But, but it logically, I mean, it, it didn't make sense. Very similar distances to downtown. Very similar than what you got, but the east side looked like a huge opportunity. Um, you know, you shouldn't have to pay two million dollars for a house that's uh, basically the same distance from downtown or or a similar area, similar size lot um, for something that you can pay eight hundred thousand for. And what we saw is we saw uh, that gap narrow. So, I mean, at that time, uh, anecdotally, I mean, we were selling people into houses on the east side for six, seven, eight hundred thousand. That in you know two two years did, you know, five to $600,000 in growth. Wow. Right. Um, literally just, it just, it was like that gap narrowed. Um, and then there was a moment where recently where the West side, where the gap got too tight and the West side became the opportunity. Uh, Yeah. I think the West side actually right now is, and it's a lot more interesting in a lot of ways. And the people saw, have seen lifts on, on the, on the West side as a result, right. Or, Or I think we'll still stand to see, lifts uh, potentially, but that's an idea. Another one is, um, you know, some of these are places where Matt and I invested um, with with our client base, um, you know, taking our own advice and, and, and did well in those markets. But the other, the, another one was, you know, um, kind of in the Northeast quadrant of downtown when two bedrooms were trading at basically two thirds of the price of other two bedrooms that were like a stone's throw in this one area and recognizing that why should I, if, if, if I have to go to Yale town and pay, you know, 850,000 or 900,000 for this two bed, when I can go to Chinatown, for example, and get the same thing for 550, that to me suggests there's a gap. And what did we see? We the Yale town are like a kilometer from each other. Well, this is it. I mean, especially when you're from Toronto, right? Like it's, you guys probably would just call that, there'd be one name for the area. Cabbage town. (laughs) Cabbage town. It is interesting though. Like, and if you think about it, because what you're describing is like this, this uh, inefficiency in pricing that's happening. And we've seen this happen. Like I would say that's probably the potentially the biggest theme that's happened as a result of COVID because during the pandemic, like in Toronto and the GTA is an exceptionally good example of this. Like, you, you're seeing condos selling at $1,200 a square foot, like an hour from downtown in the suburbs, like pre-construction condos selling yeah. at 1200 bucks a square foot. And then condos, pre-construction condos selling at $1,200 a square foot, like in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and the, these inefficiencies, like they're still there, um, but it's starting to, we're starting to get back. You, it, that's on the pre-con side. If you look at the resale market, you're starting to see this healing effect happening where geography matters again and where like the the location 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 portion of real estate actually matters and i think for people who really are in touch with local markets and can identify those little things um so i guess my question would be what like what are the metrics that you'd look at to kind of see what that is is it purely price or is it like are you watching like where rents are growing like what what kind of things show you those opportunities you want to, you want to yeah, fill can, Well, can I, yeah, I mean, fill in the gaps, but I mean, I, it's funny. We had somebody on our show years ago, say kind of like energy, energy hubs, uh, thing, like where there's activity or where there's excitement around certain areas. So, I mean, like, 
you know, you could think about um, right now, some of the things we're monitoring are like major infrastructure projects in certain areas. So you think about like St. Paul's Hospital coming to the east side, it's going to be it's going to be like one of the nicest health campuses. And uh, they're saying North America is like a super advanced hospital. Um, and it's it's going in on like the northeast quadrant of downtown uh, and East Vancouver, where there's also talks of the viaducts eventually coming down northeast. Which Falls are the highways Street. out of the downtown. Yeah. For people that don't know Vancouver, there's also uh, urban uh, city plans for northeast Falls Creek. So what we're doing is is in addition to recognizing dis, uh, gaps in pricing, we're also looking at kind of what's coming to those sub areas and how that's going to make areas more exciting in terms of really what we're doing is we're doing what you guys are doing kind of on a national context of like looking at like uh, um, stats can kind of data, but we're looking at it at a very, very kind of micro regional basis um, for gaps in, in the city of Vancouver. And I think just to put a finer point on that, I mean, one of the things that has happened kind of organically with our show is over the years, we've had more and more people from the development community on the show. And it's kind of where the interests have drawn us. But one of the things I've been thinking about is that's kind of how they're approaching where they're looking for sites, right? Like they're looking at infrastructure projects, the new sky trains, what, you know, the, the hospital, um, all those things, as well as, you know, basically where the population's going, but also building communities where you build it and they'll come. So in a lot of ways, we're talking to people that are doing that, you know, as a full-time gig. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And looking for the next fringe market in the city. So speaking of gigs, you guys are both active real estate agents. What came first, being a real estate agent or being an investor? Uh, agent. Uh, and I can say, I just need, the capital came from from, from the hustle. Agent. Yeah, yeah. The, the capital to invest. Yeah, it's funny. So many people have asked, how do, how do you become a real estate investor? Well, go get your real estate license. You you think and talk about real estate all day long. Um, and it was funny, I was thinking about this the other day and I think in my first year of selling real estate, I, th I think I was asked every potential question, you know, you're, you're being constantly, right? You go do an open house, you're being asked like 20 questions that you have to uh, basically leave and, and study. Yeah. Right. And figure out what it is. But if you ever want to crash course in, in understanding real estate, and you don't like looking like a dummy. Yeah. Go get, <laughs> go get, go get your license. But, um, yeah, I think, I think generally speaking, uh, my experience was I got really interested in real estate investing prior to getting, that's why I got licensed. I had a, a family friend that had, um, uh, had retired in his thirties from real estate investing, uh, that I kind of got to pick his brain over, over the years and um, the story was that he basically lived his like weekly allowance was just going and getting the change out of the washer and dryer machines at his <laughs> apartment buildings. And that was like what he spent. Um, pretty frugal guy still, but that's probably why he had so much money. Explained it to um, you in his pajamas. Yeah. And he, he, <laughs> and he lived his life pretty much in his pajamas. Yeah, it was funny. But he uh, uh, really, really great guy and had kind of really given me a lot of uh, great ideas on real estate investing and, and inspired me to go and get licensed. So it was kind of a, yeah, that's what, what led me there. It's funny because we get that question so often, right? Like does getting my real estate or mortgage license help me be a real estate investor? And a lot of the times the answer is no, but in your guys' case, the answer is, is a definite yes. When did that first investment property happen and what was it? What did it look like? Let's let's walk through that. So my, mine was a house on the east side um, and it was around the time. So about a decade ago. And I remember I was sitting at my office and I was planning on buying a townhouse. And uh, one of the older agents at my office who had been selling real estate for 25 years um, said, you should really look at the east side. And he had kind of recognized one of the ga the gaps that, you know, we're talking about between the east side and the west side. He said, buy this house, just trust me, buy this house. Uh, and I trusted him and I bought the house and, and, uh, did exceptionally well. And, uh, and I thought he was a genius and, and, you know, and now I look back and it, he was just experienced. He just, he just knew the market and he monitored the market. And, um, it was just the value of having somebody that had his finger on the pulse and really knew how this city operated and how, and how, how real estate worked. Yeah. And I, mine, I guess, well, I bought a house, but, uh, 
similar to where we're talking about infrastructure projects, uh, condo down in, well, Chip Wilson land, uh, down in Strathcona. <laughs> um, and the idea there was we knew about the hospital. We knew about the viaducts. We knew about a bunch of, uh, different projects that were coming up in the, in the years to come. Um, but I also was thinking about, I have an 11 year old daughter. So it was like, she wasn't 11 when I bought it, put a tenant in there and kind of, I think in Vancouver, you have to be planning for, you know, it's generational wealth, uh, is the goal, but it's also, um, literally having housing for your kids. Cause if things continue apace and we're not building enough housing, um, you know, she needs a place to go. So, uh, yeah, single family home with a suite in on the east side as well. Um, and then it was that, that little newer building, small one bed, good for turnover, uh, pretty good rent per square foot. Uh, the tenant base there is, I would say, young, white collar, and it's never been vacant for more than a week. So, wow. Yeah. So 10 years ago, you guys both started. What does the portfolio look like now? Has the investing thesis changed? What's, yeah. what's the focus now? Well, it's funny, but I'll, I'll talk a little bit about invest, investment thesis maybe because we were talking about that earlier and, and I think we have a few differences, slight differences, I would say. But, um, when I remember reading Rich Dad Poor Dad in like my twenties and I remember it's always stuck with me, but like if it doesn't cash flow, it's a liability and it's like a hard and fast rule, right? And, and, uh, I, that kind of stuck with me over my initial years and, and, what I kind of realized is that, um, at least with, uh, I guess we're less rigid or we, than a lot of people in our investment thesis. And I think over time in our lives, uh, our investment thesis will change. And if you think about when you're a young person, I mean, I think, I think about even sitting down with like a stockbroker, um, and telling them that you're 25 and you're only going to invest in dividend stocks. You know, he'd probably say, you know, maybe you should focus on growing your net worth or growing or taking some bigger swings. You've got some recovery time. Right. And so I, I, I you know, when I was uh, up until now, the past decade, I've really been focused on net worth. I've been focused on looking for gaps. I've been focused on really trying to uh, operate in growth markets. And now I've started to kind of move more to cash flow. But you know, in the back of my mind is I, I think I could have invested in in Vancouver or in BC, um, or I could have done stuff in Edmonton. But really, at the end of the day, it's the it's the net worth that really um, makes me happy that I've focused on on BC um, specifically because my net worth would be nowhere near if I had focused on say the the tertiary market, looking for rental income, and I and also because um, you know. I think at some point in my life, if I'm 50 years old, I can, I can revise my thesis strategy and go into a cash flow market. Um, and a lot of people will say, well, that's, it's lucky that you, you rode this wave. But at the end of the day, I think like, like investing in stocks or investing in anything, it's, it's, it's calculated risk. And I feel like a lot of this, when we look at the, at, at what we're trying to understand about Vancouver and the city of Vancouver, to me, it seems like a pretty, in a lot of cases, it's, it has seemed like a pretty safe bet. And, and at the time, I remember the Olympics, like what was going on in Olympic cities is, was usually followed by growth. And we talked about that. Nick, you were here at, at that time, but it was, it was that idea that there was just a ton of excitement in the city. There was a ton of people moving to the city. Um, and it was hard to imagine that the city wasn't, wasn't going to continue to be popular and in demand. And, and, uh, and it has been. So I think that's kind of been the, the, the base of, of my investment thesis kind of up until now is, is focusing on BC and focusing on the lower mainland. So in terms of the portfolio, uh, we've got residential doors, um, just revenue properties in Vancouver, uh, and the Okanagan, uh, the Okanagan has been fantastic for, um, for cash flow. Uh, and then we've moved more into commercial, um, in Nanaimo and Victoria on Vancouver Island. Um, and even though a lot of the stuff that we've bought over the years has been cash flow neutral, like we've talked about, um, it's all thankfully cash flow positive now. Um, and we still do focus on uh, gaps in the market and forced depreciation. We're actually, uh, we just took on a flip um, a couple of weeks ago. So we're, we're, we're trying to do, Matt and I are trying to do a, a flip a quarter. Um, and like we said, it's very hard to find. 
Um, but we're still, still focused on being very active in, uh, in forced appreciation in the market as well. I, I think a big portion of that too has to, has to, um, has to do with just the lack of supply. And I know, I feel like there's different, especially on Twitter and places like that, you know, like the supply versus interest rates and, you know, as if it's like a dichotomy there. Um, but legitimately in Vancouver, um, you know, we've done some renovation projects and consistently done quite well on them, but it's because there's, it's, it's, they're very, very hard to find. They're very, very hard to find because they're so, the demand has been fairly consistent. Um, and that inventory just doesn't show up very often, but, uh, it, it just, it, it feels like since I've operated in this market, um, and it goes to kind of this idea of like after the Olympics, it was an exciting city, this and that. But it's just, it's, you're looking for the times where it's like, man, there's so much supply and just no demand. And it just never materializes. Blood in the streets supposed to be in the fall. And it's like, nobody lists. Yeah. Maybe that changes. Maybe when people renew their mortgages and suddenly they get hit, uh, with payments that are significantly higher, um, that changes. Where we have seen it a bit is assignments for pre-sales. So yeah. people having to unload pre-sales, but it's such a small. But that's not meaningful supply. Either. Exactly. Like no it's such a small there. portion. It's all just paper gains. So it, like it's no, no real money is being lost. Exactly. Right? Yeah. But I mean, it just seems like there's, when you're looking for that truly motivated seller, it's just, it's been so long with, with that not materializing that, um, you know, if you're looking for something that makes you feel warm at night, uh, it just seems to continuously be a problem, right? And I, I mean, just and just to unpack that for people that don't know the region that well is, I mean, we're, we've got the mountains to the north, we've got the border to the south, we've got agricultural land reserve to the east, and we've got the ocean to the west, right? So we're, we're a landlocked region. And then on top of that, our, the municipalities have made it so, there's so much red tape here to actually build that projects that are even green lit take usually five five years or so to and come they online. sometimes go back like it's like you'll think they'll, the developer will think they can put shovels in the ground and then you know somehow the community organizes and it's it's actually yeah. between think, nimbyism and red tape and then finally when something actually gets green lit if there is a market slowdown or anything to suggest that there will be developers pause or people yeah. shelf projects and then you're stuck and then you're creating an inventory glut again and then now it's like demand shock demand shock hits and you haven't done any you haven't created any new supply so it's an interesting thought in my perspective because I, like i i think and i i do think like the market has the potential to trade sideways for a long time in most places in canada and i think a big portion of that is like there are multiple factors, but one of which is, you know, is policy that's coming into place to encourage density. And that could, you know, it, it'll it'll allow properties to improve in value and upzoning will actually could potentially create value because, you know, you can now put two or four units in something that you could have put, put uh, only one prior. But also it should ideally drive rents down by creating more and more inventory. Mm -hmm. But I think like one of the things that politicians don't really realize, but also people who are analyzing real estate investment don't really realize is that a unit to live in is a unit. And it doesn't matter if it's an ownership unit or a rental unit. There's a, you know, it pays you rent. It pays you rental income, or if you're the owner of it, it pays you rent that you don't have to pay somewhere else. Um, do you, and, and maybe just worth chatting about this, because I know, I think Ken Sim has sort of wanted to, to put in this new thing where if you can, you're talking about the building permits where it's like three days for a building permit. What is it? Three Three days, three, then three, three weeks yeah. for three weeks or for three, uh, what is, yeah, three months for zoning, I think. And then yeah. one year for, I don't know, like for so basically start to finish. Yeah. But like our, our policy initiatives like this and then what's happening at the provincial level going to have, from your perspective, a meaningful impact on increasing supply and then maybe creating greater degree of affordability. And are those are there investment opportunities associated with that in, in Vancouver or BC? Uh, I Well, I would say, I hope it, it creates meaningful supply, and I mean that legitimately. In that, um, you know, we've seen, we've watched a lot of our friends leave. Like it's just, it's an impossible yeah. place to live. Mm -hmm. um, so, and we've seen a lot of clients over the years leave. Like it's especially in the last like four or five years. Uh, so, I hope that works. My sense in talking to people for the last six, seven years here, and in dealing with the city of Vancouver to get permits for my house um, 
is that it's a culture at City Hall that is is I think even with the best politicians in four years is pretty tough to uh, to change. You know, I had a, a a client who works at the city of Vancouver and she said, oh, yeah, I got transferred to this new. This was like last week. She said, I got transferred to this new project. You might want to reach out to them there. It's such a different culture than this other community program. They're not they're like way more corporate. You'd like them. And I'm like, this is not <laughs> a way like division, divi- divisive ways of framing right. things in in the city. Yeah. Um, you know, like we're corporate and the, and you're just thinking, well, uh, this doesn't bode well for the next three years or however long Ken Sim has to to change the culture. And the culture in the city of Vancouver is like permits take, you know, for like in it's it's. It's insane. They must be competing with Toronto. Too. Oh my God. Yeah. No, but it's like, it's not even, you wouldn't even believe it till you go through it. Yeah. Where I, you, we might actually. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but emails that just, you're like, just please confirm that you receive this. Yeah, yeah, and they just don't. And right. you're like, I've sent over the last month, I can't even get somebody to respond to my right. email. And it's to a specific person. So you can put as much but policy in place as you want, but if it's not executed, it if matter. the culture that's, doesn't change and how do you, that's a, that's a big ticket item to change the culture. And, and to your point, Dan, is, is I, I, th- I think there's going to be, um, probably opportunities for people that own, you know, standard lots or land in Vancouver when, you know, if you can do six units on a standard lot, say, for example, if, if, um, and there's lots of talks ar- around that, like what, like gentle density and, and what that looks like. Will that move the needle on, on the kind of supply that we actually need? I think that's, that's maybe more challenging. Like there, there'd have to be a pretty dramatic shift. And I, and I just want to echo what Matt's saying is, is the same reason that we're so bullish on the market here is also the same reason we're so concerned for the health of the city and the same reason why all of our, you know, a lot of your, our friends and, and why nurses have to drive in from hope. Yeah. If they work in Vancouver, like it's, it is a, it's a broken city, but from in a lot of ways, but it's also the, the same reasons it gives you confidence in that it's going to be very hard for prices to come down. So, okay. So, I mean, let's chat about that a little bit. Like where, so when people leave, where are they going? And it's it, like, if assuming it's an affordability thing and, and like they're going to other municipalities and are, are those places where you might see greater yield opportunities? Like is a drive till you qualify the same as a drive till you quantify in the kind of greater Vancouver area or places around. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that one, by the way, we got, we got in trouble for saying greater Vancouver area on the podcast before. Uh, I, I don't know. We the still GVA? Say, yeah. The, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a thing. Um, the we're trying to make it the lower mainland, lower mainland yeah. or Metro Vancouver, maybe. Yeah. But uh, I think outside, like where are people going? And then is there, it, are those areas decent investment opportunities as well? Like where you might actually see fundamentals like cash flow rather than what, what you're saying. Like, Cause I think, when you describe your investment thesis, like you have this unshakable resolve that like you're you like Vancouver and Vancouver is the investment thesis, and if you were buying there, you were always right, like no matter what, because you bought the you bought Vancouver. It didn't matter about the the fundamentals. But for a lot of people who are seeking those things, is that like do those exist within a one hour drive? Or? So yeah, and I, I hope yeah okay I. I want to make sure I'm clear on my, uh, investment. Yeah. So I guess it is Vancouver kind of driven, but we also like, I've, I've got, uh, investments in the Okanagan and on the island. And, uh, I believe in those markets as well. And those are a lot of markets where, um, you know, on the island, you can see better cash flow opportunities. You can cash flow positive, uh, in many cases with 20% down. Um, in the Okanagan, I think there's great opportunities in like smaller kind of multifamily or, um, like, you know, fourplexes, triplexes, that sort of thing where, uh, the cash flow can be pretty good. Um, it's more challenging now where we are from a, in, in, from a rate perspective, obviously. Um, but there definitely are opportunities. Um, when you go in the Metro Vancouver region, it gets trickier because of what we've been talking about this idea that, and I mean, it's different for, we call it pre-sale, you call it pre-con, but, um, I still think prices are, uh, have gone up considerably during COVID and, and it, to me, it's, it's the, the gap between the price, the prices in Vancouver and, um, and say the Valley, for example, versus the difference in rent. Um, you know, I'd pro- I, I don't think you're going to do much better by going to the Valley. You're probably going to have to go to the Okanagan or to the Island. I would, I would say. Um, and for cash then, flow, and even then, it, it's it's harder 
it's harder now than it was even, you know, a year, a year or two ago. Although there are opportunities specifically on the island that I can think of. So for, for a young investor just starting out that, that is maybe more cash flow versus appreciation focus that might not have the, you know, $200,000, 20% down payment they need for anything in the lower mainland, where would you advise them to go? Are they, is that now being forced out of province essentially. And then you mentioned all your friends that are leaving. Mm -hmm. Are they kind of going next door to Alberta? That seems to be the the general play is if you can't afford BC anymore, go next door. You still have the mountains, you don't have the ocean, but there's still some of that lifestyle play. So, you know, a lot of our listeners are are trying to get started in real estate. How do you get started if you're in, in Metro Vancouver? In Metro Vancouver, how do you get started? Um, if you live in Metro Vancouver and you want to invest in real estate, not that you a, have to be an investor, in, you know, in your backyard, but where would, you know, you guys must have clients that ask you this all the time. Yeah. So what's, what's the response? Yeah. I mean, we just had, uh, we just had somebody on the podcast, um, from Edmonton, like a, like a agent that's focuses on investing. Um, we've had people on talking about Calgary in the past. So Alberta is definitely, uh, Calgary lately seems a little different, but, um, yeah, that was a couple of years back. Um, we've had people on talking about Northern BC, like in Fort St. John, Dawson Creek. Uh, so, so we do talk about other areas where, where the buy-in's a lot easier. That's for sure. Um, I, it's, it's hard though, cause it is hard. Victoria yeah. has now gotten like but Langford, Nanaimo, maybe even Langford yeah. a couple of years ago, the suburb of Victoria. We were talking a lot about that. Cause again, there was this gap between <coughs> Langford and Victoria, which seems to have, you know, it's like hyped it up, not us necessarily, but everybody did. And now it's like Langford is, is no longer as attractive as it was. Yeah. Um, where the new spot is? Uh, I think the, the Okanagan and the South Okanagan specifically. Maybe Penticton, right? Uh, Penticton is going to be, I think, a good spot. Um, I also think like a lot of, uh, people are going to kind of like Courtney and, and Comox Valley and that sort of thing. So on the island, but, um, you know, more, uh, um, kind of central island or, or closer to, uh, and, and even Nanaimo. I think there's still opportunities depending, but you can find cash flow for sure. Um, it's just, it, it just depends really. It comes down to budget and, and what somebody is looking for in terms of, cause, uh, it, you know, it depends. It, it, if you, a lot of the cash flow you, you need to, you need, especially on the island, you need that house with the suite probably. You need yeah. like two doors plus. Um, there are condo opportunities, uh, in Kelowna where you can still do quite well. Um, but yeah, it's just, it really comes down to the, what, what you're working with budget wise. Um, but there's a lot of great, great markets in BC still that you can cash flow. Have you seen the investor clientele that you're working with? Maybe, maybe newer investors really come as, as partnerships or JVs. You know, it's not the one person qualifying anymore. It's now, you know, get a group of friends together and start buying properties. Is that a trend that you've been seeing? I feel like those guys are, they sometimes reach out. They, they're usually in different markets though. Hmm. They don't. It seems like in Vancouver, at least in my experience, it's it's not uh, usually what people do is you buy a studio or one bed, uh, you live in it. It's like leave a trail of properties behind you, right? That's You're the strategy. Through the yeah. market, climb your ladder. Right? Yeah, but but holding on to those properties, yeah. right? Using yeah. equity, essentially house hacking your way up to. Uh, yeah, that's how most people try and do but, it. But you know, I've had people over the years uh, say, hey, me and three friends want to do X and it never seems to pan out. Although we have people and we've had a couple of people on the podcast where three friends get together and they own multifamily and, you know, New Brunswick or wherever. I'm trying to think of where that was. So it does, but it seems like they're more kind of very, um, very focused on growing a portfolio that's and you mentioned like a like condos or like downtown being kind of inefficiently priced or like you know and i guess a lot of that happened obviously obviously as like the exodus urban exodus happening suburbanization of demand are you seeing a reurbanization of demand and are there are there is there merit to like investment thesis is like we get questions all the time about people who want to run airbnbs as an example like are things like that succeeding or the airbnb were. they were it's it's getting trickier yeah. now there was it's only about answer these days well there's yeah. only about 10 buildings or so that still and i i know a few of them even just in the last few weeks i think the strata has changed their their bylaws ar- around airbnb 
Um, it's getting harder and harder with Airbnb and then people are concerned about, there's a lot of risks that comes with Airbnb and, um, yeah, so it's, it's, that, that's, that's a bit more challenging, um, for sure. I wanted to quickly just, cause one of the things, the trail of property, I'm curious if this happens in Toronto as well, the leaving the trail of properties behind, because we've helped a lot of people do that over the years here that want to, that want to have a few doors and climb through the market. And the idea is obviously that, that if you're buying your principal residence, you don't need the 20% down down payments. One of the biggest mm-hmm. challenges here, right? So yeah. what people are doing is they're, they're, they're buying, they're living in a place they're maybe cleaning it up. It's like, um, you know, they're, they're rehabbing it and then they're looking to get into a bigger space, but they're, they're refinancing or they're, they're keeping that existing yeah. property. Taking advantage of like that sort of 95% loan to value. Exactly. Like, yeah. Or the 10%, right. Yeah. As opposed to being an investment property where you need 20% down. Yeah. Yeah, it's super common. Um, I mean, I would say that that kind of like the capital appreciation house hack sort of model, like climbing the property ladder and, you know, doing it legally, like rather than trying to use a high leverage loan to buy an investment property, they'll buy one that they actually live in and then rent that one out after once they've accumulated enough capital to buy number two, buy it high leverage. Mm -hmm. Totally like great, great way for a lot of people have built wealth successfully. The challenge, I think, with a lot of that is like you're going in high leverage on deal one, two and three. And I think a lot of those people are getting into financial stress positions now, like if, especially if you're running that model for the past like four years, right? you know, you're, you're now sitting on a portfolio where you're 80% loan to value across a bunch of assets, two of which, or one of which is probably down in value and uh, rates are about to turn over. Right. And, and if, if it was a downtown condo, like if that's what you started with in Toronto, that's probably still not cash flow positive. Yeah, um, I'd say from the mortgage perspective, that that's it's the, one of the most common questions we get. Right? Okay, well, I want to buy my next property. I'd like to keep this one, and I'm always like, hell yeah, let's let's see if we can. Right? That's the great way to do it. But, but if, bank, if your yeah, property is losing a thousand bucks a month, we have to add that back back into the debt service sure. coverage ratio, yeah. and now your ratios are way out of whack. Even if the property is making a couple bucks a month, it can still have a negative effect. Right? So. In theory, yeah, of course, it's the it's the best way to do it. But in in some of these very credit dependent, less cash flow heavy markets, particularly Toronto, Vancouver, where everyone wants to live and everyone wants to own property, it gets a lot harder, especially if you're just starting out and especially if you get caught in, in a cycle like mm-hmm. this, right? Um, I know we're running short on time here. I want to turn the same tough questions you guys did on us back to you. What does the market look like in Vancouver one, three, and five years out. Don't I don't jump like, I only like I only like the to hear other people's forecasts. <laughs> yeah. We're we're like weathermen here, right? We're we're wrong ninety percent of the time, yeah. but we'd like to hear it anyways. <laughs> You know, it's well, it's really interesting, right? Because even in the it feels like the last month we've seen huge drops in prices. Like it's just But you guys have been busier than ever in the last well, month. Yeah, well. maybe not than than ever, but we did we were carrying a bunch of inventory that got absorbed. Absorbed yeah. and a lot of it in multiple offers. Uh what we've been seeing over the last six what we've been seeing over the last six months is um there'll be spikes, right? Like November was maybe uh, it was, it was slow, right? Prices were way down, but we, there's like weeks where they're bumping. Everybody's yeah. like, what's going on? Sentiment, right. It just keeps yeah. happening. So it's hard to say in the last couple of weeks, if this is again, yeah, spring. I always yeah. thought like the current, I th- cause like we're seeing the same thing happening in, in the GTA and in a lot of places in Canada, like even national data is showing like increases in price January or February, uh, March. I, I really, really think if you if you just go back and look at the five year bond yield and what mortgage rates were doing, I think in January you had bonds down. You could get a fixed mortgage rate in the four fives, and everybody loaded up on uh, rate holds. And now you have a bunch of people in the market who are urgently trying to use those rate holds because the rates five five, and if they don't buy within the next three months, they literally are going to see a hundred thousand dollar increase in capital costs over the mm. five year mortgage term. Right. So that that to me is probably where the urgency in the market's coming from because we're seeing the same thing in the GTA mm. and it seems more pronounced in the more credit dependent markets here in Toronto. Yeah. I I don't know. I mean it's I haven't been following along as so it, you're saying that if I understand those two markets are actually like this <coughs> this bounce is happening more pronounced in those markets. Yeah, Toronto than, and Vancouver for sure. Like Toronto's up like 10% in the last 60 mm, days. Mm-hmm, it's yeah. insane. Like, mm-hmm. not, no, I know it's kind of like you're like, "Huh, this is we're getting back to those yeah, prices from yeah. early last year." Yeah. Like yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I kind of feel like it depends, I, I guess, what happens with interest rates this year. But I, I feel like if there's uh, already the, the mood has changed, um, I feel like there's there at least appears to be a lot more. I remember because we were selling one of our uh, reno, reno projects uh, that we did together at the last, it was at November of last it was year. November, yeah. And it was crazy the how how poor the sentiment was in the market in november like everybody nobody wanted to touch and it was a beautiful place um but just nothing was turning over um and now it's like you know it feels like people fighting tooth and nail and a lot of people coming out of the woodwork so we've had a lot of investors reaching out recently we've had a lot of uh um obviously buyers uh, first time home buyers sellers starting to feel like there might be a bit of an opportunity because of how low inventory has been yeah um so it's it's like the mood has changed and my concern is just with how low inventory is if we don't see inventory come online and we see uh you know even a rate cut this year um which you know or even just stable rates for the balance of the year and continued demand uh, I, th- I think we could see the market potentially take off. So that's my my only. Yeah. And the, and the other thing I've been thinking a lot about, and we've put it to a lot of people in the development community. And I guess, you know, it, I, if you if you fundamentally believe we really need to build a lot of housing and they just can't, it doesn't pencil out. Right. At if they don't sell it for, you know, they've all bought their land and some of them have banked land over a long period of, ter- of time, but those are the real big players. But just getting that supply online, if they can't get those prices in the presale market, you know, that, so it's like, we might be, si- if we're sideways for, you know, three to five years, which who knows, I, I don't have a crystal ball. Um, but I wonder what that looks like, right? Because we won't see that inventory, the new construction coming online. But then you get a supply glut, and then you eventually see like a you almost get like a pent up demand between now. And that, then. That's exactly it. So what shock. is that? So so like going back to the and I, I don't and our, I don't think our investment thesis is quite you know buy Vancouver, but buy growth markets where yeah. supply is very constricted. I think would be a fair a fair uh, characterization of it, where rents are trending upwards and yeah. demand is trending. Right. Because of the growth. And I just see it where you're like, okay, if if we're sideways, we're not going to be bringing supply to market. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's true. Anyway, it's kind of like construction costs get deflationary or something. Right. Like we have bigger problems if that happens. Exactly. It's like, well, then what does it look like? And so anyway, great point. It's an interesting uh, as always. It's an interesting moment. It is for sure. Awesome. Where can people find out more about you? Uh, VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com or you can listen to the show on uh, anywhere where you listen to your podcasts Spotify Apple Podcasts that's a good part Everywhere. about this. They're finding you on a podcast, so they're already in the player. So just going to say that. And, and if you want to hear uh, us ask you guys the tough questions, yeah. tune in for yeah. at least that. No, uh, I've been listening episode. to you guys for years. You guys do a fantastic job. If anyone who's listening is in Vancouver or interested in Vancouver, I highly recommend it. You guys sure. cover wide array of topics and do a really good job so appreciate you guys coming on the show and uh thanks for hosting us in your studio (laughs) (laughs) thanks for thanks for coming down awesome the canadian real estate investor podcast is for entertainment purposes only and it is not financial advice nick hill is a mortgage agent with premier mortgage center and a partner in the g and h mortgage group license number 10317 Agent license M21004037. Daniel Foch is a real estate broker licensed with Rare Real Estate, a member of the Canadian Real Estate Association, the Toronto Real Estate Board, and the Ontario Real Estate Association.